Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you that this is the day that you've made, that we can just rejoice and be glad in it. And uh, Lord, we look forward to receiving something fresh from your word. So we just open our hearts to you this morning and say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I know there are um, people here who have done multitudes of marathons. But probably the biggest test in running is the ultramarathon. Uh, the 875-kilometer ultramarathon endurance race from Sydney to Melbourne is considered one of the world's most grueling ultramarathons. And there's a distance there on the map. You can see it. It is, um, it is huge. Okay? Um, in 1983, the favorite for the Sydney to Melbourne race was a New Zealander called Ziggy Bauer. And he was the 1,000-kilometre world record holder. But that year, a 61-year-old potato farmer called Cliff Young showed up at the start of the race wearing overalls and work boots, all right? Not the attire that you'd expect for an ultramarathon. And when he was questioned as to, as to whether he could finish the race, he, he told the press that he grew up on a farm where they couldn't afford um, tractors or horses, and so whenever storms would roll in, he'd have to go out and round up some 2,000 sheep over their 2,000-acre property. Uh, sometimes, he said, he'd have to run those sheep for two or three days at a time. So he figured that he could finish the race. So when the race started, the, the pros quickly left Cliff behind and the crowds and the television audience actually were entertained because uh, Cliff didn't even run properly. He just, he just sort of shuffled. And all of the professional athletes knew that it took about six days uh, to finish the race. So they'd be doing something like 150 kilometres a day. And uh, they would run for 18 hours uh, a day and then they would sleep for six hours. Well... On the first night, Cliff made a mistake. He woke up after just two hours sleep. And thinking it was near morning, he started running. Uh, when he realized his mistake, he decided that as he felt so good, he'd just keep on running. And that's what he did every night. Uh, with next to no sleep, he just kept shuffling along and he blitzed the field. He won the race by over 15 hours. <laughs> and a new race record and completely changed the race tactics for the future. When Cliff was awarded the winning prize of $10,000, he said he didn't even know there was a prize. And, and he insisted that he didn't enter for the money. And he ended up giving all of his winnings to several other runners, uh, an act that endeared him to the whole of Australia. Cliff became an Australian icon because he just kept shuffling along. He endured incredible hardship but persevered and won the race. Prayer is like that. It's not a sprint. It's an ultramarathon. It's part of our relationship with God. It happens in different ways at different times, sometimes when everyone else is sleeping. The journey is probably more important than the destination. And one of the characteristics that we need to grow in, especially with our prayer life, is perseverance. 
Uh, James 1.3 says, The testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And Hebrews 12 uh, verse 1 says that we need to run with perseverance the race of life that's mapped out for us. You know, if our prayers aren't answered immediately, most often it tests our faith, doesn't it? Well, if like me, uh, we live in a generation where everything happens straight away. And sometimes when I'm praying, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just wondering why God hasn't answered that straight away. And every time he doesn't answer straight away, it's a test of faith. But unless our faith is tested, we will never grow up in the things of God and mature as Christians. It says, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So if you want to grow up to be mature and complete, not lacking anything, you need to persevere. And testing of your faith creates perseverance. Uh, One of the greatest characteristics of Daniel that we've seen over the last few months is that he was a habitual, disciplined, persistent prayer. And that's one of the reasons why God blessed him. And I'm absolutely convinced that God wants to bless us and see us go to another level in our Christian walk more than we want to do that. And persistent prayer is one of the keys to growing and going to another level in God. So we're up to Daniel chapter 10, and we're going to read this. Uh, For those of you who are new here this morning, we've just been working through the book of Daniel. And Daniel chapter 10, starting at verse 1, it says this, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. This is where we get the concept of the Daniel fast, uh, a partial fast, just um, doing away with all the nice nice things like um, television, iPads, iPhones, um, lollies, chippies, all those little bits and pieces, and just sticking to the basics. (laughs) This is where that came from. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the banks of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of finest gold round his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So that's really, really interesting, isn't it? That when the angel of the Lord came to visit Daniel, uh, he actually was the only one that, um, that saw it. So obviously there's a way that um, the angels can open our eyes to see into the angelic realm. But the other guys, although they couldn't see the angel, they felt his presence. And as it said, terror absolutely overwhelmed them. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left in my face, uh, and my face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speak, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. 
It's interesting that when you study angels in the Bible, just about in every situation, the very first things that angels say to humans is, anyone know? Fear not. Fear not. And that tells me that uh, angels aren't pretty little ladies with wings on their backs, <laughs> but they're quite, um, they're quite scary. They're quite scary beings, and they're big, okay? And that's why uh, when people see angels, they're scared, okay? So Daniel's trembling, and he says, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael... One of the chief princes came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns the time yet to come. Wow, there are just so many interesting aspects of this particular passage. There's the angelic and the demonic and their, their characteristics and, uh, and their battle. And I think next time that I speak... Um, which will be in two weeks' time, I think. Um, I'm going to look at um, breaking demonic influences in your life. So that'll be, that'll be really good. But this morning, I want to look at the power of persistent prayer because I sense that a lot of people don't really think that their prayers matter and that they don't recognize that their future is totally dependent on their prayers. And we know Daniel was a prayer. Here, Daniel prayed three times a day, every day. He prayed in his room. He prayed in the lion's den. He prayed for wisdom. He prayed for guidance. He prays that God would forgive the sins of his people, Israel, and return them to their home. And now we find Daniel struggling in prayer and fasting for 21 days because he's troubled by a dream that he's had, and he knows it's a dream of incredible significance. Jesus, when he was encouraging his disciples in prayer tells the story in Luke chapter 18 of a widow who persistently kept coming and coming and coming and coming to an unjust judge, seeking justice from, uh, from him. And in the end, the judge is so sick of being continually pestered by this woman uh, that he relents and he sorts the, the matter out for her. And Jesus comments on this, and he says this in Luke 18 verse 7. He says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of faith on the earth? Now, we're not like the widow in Jesus' story in that we're totally opposite to her. She was poor, powerless, forgotten, abandoned. She had no relationship with the judge whatsoever. For him, she was just one more item on his to-do list. We are not abandoned. We are God's adopted sons and daughters. We are precious. We are the apple of his eye. Our loving Heavenly Father is nothing like the judge in this particular um, illustration that Jesus gives. The judge was crooked, unjust, unfair, uncaring, and preoccupied with personal matters. But by contrast, our God is righteous, he's holy, he's tender, he's responsive, he's sympathetic, he wants to bless his children. 
And it says in Matthew 7, 11, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who seek him? But Jesus encourages us to pray and keep on praying. In fact, I think it's in uh, Luke 11, uh, after Jesus has talked to the disciples about uh, prayer by uh, teaching them the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Um, he then goes on and he gives another para- um, parable. And he says, I suppose you've got a friend and you go to him at midnight and you say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And a friend of mine on a journey has come and I need to feed him. Uh, suppose the one on the inside says, the door's locked. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And Jesus is, and then he goes on and he says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Second, you'll find, knock and the door will be open. So Jesus is saying, Hey, you're going to have to start praying prayers that are bold, prayers that are shameless, prayers that are audacious. We're going to have to start praying as if our prayers count and they are needed. I've noticed that sometimes God answers my prayers straight away. And most of us would have experienced that. In fact, sometimes our prayers are answered before we even ask. Uh, one of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh. And Jehovah Jireh means the one who sees our needs and makes provision for them before the need actually happens. Isaiah 65, 24 says, Before they call, I will answer. And I think if you look back on your life, you'll find that sometimes God has um, made provision for your prayers before you've even prayed them. And that certainly was the case with a missionary called um, Helen Roseveri, uh, who was a medical missionary from England serving in Zaire uh, from 1953 to 1973. And she wrote a book about uh, all of her, um, her exploits. And she tells of how one night a woman died in childbirth, leaving a tiny premature baby and a crying two-year-old daughter. Uh, They had difficulty keeping the baby alive as they didn't have any electricity, they had no incubator, uh, they had no special feeding facilities, and although they lived on the equator, uh, nights were very cold. The last of the hot water bottles had already perished, so all they could do was sleep with the baby as close to the fire as possible and pray that it would be warm enough. Following day around about lunchtime uh, Helen went to have prayers with the orphanage children and so she told the youngsters about the tiny baby and the two-year-old sister and during the prayer time one 10-year-old girl Ruth prayed please God send us a hot water bottle it'll be no good tomorrow God as the baby will be dead so please send it this afternoon don't you love kids' prayers? They're just so matter-of-fact. Hey, God, just do it. Yeah, right. And, and while you're about it, she prayed, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so that she'll know that you really love her? Well, Helen wrote, as often, as, as often with children's prayers, I was put on the spot. I just 
couldn't say amen because I didn't believe that God would do this. The only way God could answer this particular prayer would be by sending a parcel from the UK. She'd been in Africa for four years and she'd never received a single parcel from home during that time. Anyway, if someone did send a parcel, who would put a hot water bottle in for someone on the equator? (laughs) Halfway through the afternoon, she gets a message that there was a large parcel for her on the veranda. With the orphanage children, together they carefully pulled off the string and the paper, and from top to bottom they lifted out brightly coloured knitted jerseys, bandages for leprosy patients, and then as she put her hand in, She pulled out a brand new hot water bottle. Ten-year-old Ruth was in the front row of the children. She rushed forward crying out, If God sent the bottle, he must have sent the dolly too. And so rummaging down to the bottom of the box, she pulled out a beautifully dressed dolly. She had never doubted. That parcel had been on its way for five months. But God had seen the need and heard that little girl's prayer and made provision to answer that prayer before it was even prayed. I think it's a bit like if you take a wheel, and on the outside of the wheel is time, okay? Uh, God is at the focus of that wheel. He's at the hub of that wheel. So he sees from eternity past to eternity future. He can see what's going to happen, and he can cause things to happen that will affect of the future not like us we're on the outer rim we just see things one day at a time uh, Ephesians 3.20 now to him who is able to do is measurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work with us and as I read that um, illustration from her book I thought if God can do that for a 10 year old girl how much more can he do for me and for us, as we seek his face with persevering prayer. Imagine what God could do with your prayers if you started to get serious and started to believe and have faith as a little child. Sometimes it takes a little, while, a little longer for our prayers to be answered. And people will ask, so how long should we pray? Well, I really like the push principle. Pray until something happens. All right? Pray until something happens. I think you've gone too many there. Go back a few slides. Oh, I've missed the push out. (laughs) I left it. Our passage this morning illustrates that God heard Daniel's prayers as soon as he prayed it. But... The enemy did everything to try and stop Daniel from receiving the answer from God. And our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities. We, we read that in Ephesians. Uh, the majority of the great prayers that we pray and will pray are prayers that are in direct opposition to what the enemy wants for us. And so they are vehemently opposed. You know, it says that the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. And we are the focus of that kill, steal, destroy. But Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. So when we are praying into kingdom plans and kingdom purposes, when we're praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying in direct opposition 
to what the enemy wants for our lives and our situation and our circumstances. And he will oppose those. And we are in a battle. And so we have to break through in prayer warfare. Jesus taught that we should always pray and not give up. Not because God's hard of hearing. Uh, not because God needs to be pestered into answering our requests. Not because God doesn't want to answer us. No, Jesus taught us to pray and not to give up because perseverance perfects us. Because we're in a battle. But also, he taught us to pray and keep on praying because our prayers carry weight. And they carry increased authority to break through. The more we pray, the greater the weight of those prayers and the greater the impact of those prayers to break through in situations and circumstances. God's, when we pray, we have greater impact to break through so that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? So when you want you, God's will to be done in your family, when you want God's will to be done in your life, when you want God's will to be done in this church, when you want God's will to be done in Whangarei, when you want God's will to be done in Northland and in New Zealand, pray until something happens. Push. Keep on pushing in in prayer. Pray until something happens. When you're praying for other people, remember that their free will is involved also. I love the story of... Um, George Mueller. I read a book about 30 years ago called Seven Great Prayer Warriors, and it was a book that was written by the, uh, the Assemblies of God superintendent in the UK. And in the, amongst these seven great prayer, prayer warriors was a man called George Mueller, and he had lots and lots and lots and lots of examples of George Mueller and his persistent praying. One of those was the example of George Mueller praying every day for five of his unsaved friends. One came to Christ after five years. After 10 more years, two more were saved. After 35 years, the fourth was saved. And after 52 years of praying for the last friend, Mueller died. Without seeing, his prayer answered. But his friend was saved at Mueller's funeral. So all five of his friends got saved. But... They didn't happen yesterday. They happened after 52 years of praying every day. There must have been an incredible battle for those men's souls. But Mueller had the tenacity to break through. We all need to push and cry out, God, I won't let you go till you bless me. Let's have the musicians, please. The disciples, they prayed in Jerusalem until they received power from on high. William Carey labored and prayed for seven years before he baptized his first convert in India. And William Carey is recognized as the father of modern missions. Seven years he labored. Most sending churches would have pulled their missionaries off the field if they had no results in the first five years. But he did it for seven. Judson, Adoniah Judson was seven years in Burma before a breakthrough. Hudson Taylor prayed and labored for years in China. You know, the 
the multitudes of breakthroughs that we see in modern missions with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people coming to the Lord every day. They are built on the shoulders of these men and these women who've labored and prayed every day, every day, every day in incredibly difficult situations. But we build on the generation that went before us and the prayers of the generation that went before us. Moffat prayed and persevered for seven years before the Holy Spirit moved in Africa. Jacob said of God, I won't let you go till you bless me. If Naaman hadn't dipped seven times in the river, he wouldn't have got his miracle. Seven times Elijah prayed for God to break the drought before he saw a small cloud on the horizon. And Pastor Tark preached about that last time he was in our church. And we saw today that Daniel prayed and fasted for 21 days before the angel Gabriel finally broke through after a battle in the heavenlies. You know, what made Luther and Knox and Wesley and Finney and Edwards and Brainerd and Howes and Spurgeon and others so incredibly powerful and anointed, it was their persevering prayer. And if you want to go to another level in the things of God, if you want to get to know God more intimately, if you want to see the Holy Spirit not only coming to you, but moving through you in rivers of living water, impacting those people around about you, then you have to learn to pray and keep on praying. You have to learn to knock and keep on knocking. You have to learn to ask and keep on asking. I read the story the other night of a Christian musician and composer who was at a real low point in his life. His money was gone. His creditors had seized his belongings. He was facing the threat of debtor's prison. The stress in his life literally paralyzed him and he had a stroke. He couldn't walk or move or feel anything on his right side. And for a time he considered giving in and giving up. But in 1741, after committing himself to a prolonged time of praying, he decided to try one more time. And out of despair and brokenness, in 23 days, George Frederick Handel wrote The Messiah, an oratorio that is considered to be the greatest piece of sacred music ever written. When it was first performed in London, King George II was so overwhelmed at the start of the Hallelujah Chorus that he stood. And everyone in the whole opera house stood with him. And it's been a tradition ever since whenever the Messiah is performed when it comes to the Hallelujah Chorus everybody stands brokenness despair but persevering prayer results in fruitfulness perseverance in prayer is the key 
to inheriting God's promises. Hebrews 10, 36. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. You know, the greatest example of perseverance is actually God Himself. Because it says that God is love in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, it tells us that love perseveres. And I'm quite convinced that God has persevered long and hard with each and every one of us more than we have persevered with Him. But if we want to grow in the things of God, if we want to become everything that God has created us to be and to do everything that God has planned and purpose for us to do, then we need to learn to pray and keep on praying. Amen.